This is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics and how it affects you. I am looking at the world's economics, trying to interpret them, and more importantly, wondering where they are going and what they are going to do to us in particular. So this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them, and occasionally my opinions. I want this to be an educational show for you, so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy it, and welcome. Happy 4th of July! This is the Economy Guy coming your way for a special weekly wrap-up of what's going on in the economic world. And it's pretty serious this week. Uh, when I'm reviewing my notes here, uh, the, the main message, one main message I want to give you is the economy is super strong in the United States. It is charging forward and it's got further to go. That's really clear. And uh, everything I say in this uh, podcast, I want you to put it in that perspective. Uh, what that means is, hey, stocks could go higher because things really look good. Uh, there are reasons they, they don't, too, but the things do look, from a pure economics viewpoint, look good. So, what do I have this week? Well, I have five segments for you. The first one is uh, an interesting one. Uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, his uh, very good friend, had a, uh, an interview, and I'm going to bring you... Some what I consider the highlight of that interview, it's a very long interview, it's worth seeing if you can catch it, um, yeah, but I'll, I'll give you what I think is important from an economic viewpoint. Second, I am going to uh, give you the market wrap for the week, see what how each of the markets ended. Third, I'm going to um, talk about the U.S. stock market in particular. What are the oddities about U.S. stocks? that you need to know when you're making an investment so you have a little additional knowledge, things I haven't talked about in the past. So that, that'll be a good one. And fourth is what I would call the tidbits, but they're all serious. They're not all over the place like uh, my typical tidbits. These are all serious subjects, and therefore the message is in the fourth segment. And the fifth and last segment, of course, is the market wrap, the... Uh, the things that might cause the market to crash, let's review all of those too while we can. And on to the first segment. What did Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger say in their interview? They're the best of friends, have been friends for 60 years. Uh, they're getting along in age. Uh, it just so you can be happy for them. Uh, Warren Buffett's about 90, and uh, his friend Charlie Munger is about 97. They're getting along great, making a lot of money. So what did they say? They were reviewing the world as they saw it, and they've been around a long time, so they have some wisdom that goes with it, right? Well, what they were reviewing what the Fed's charter was, what the Fed was doing, and they had an interesting viewpoint on it. They said, hey, remember the 1929 crash? I think everybody remembers way back when, about 100 years ago, we had a big market crash. 
and uh, it put the world, the entire world, into a depression. And in during that depression, around 1933-34, the charter for the Federal Reserve was modified to give it the power to set margin rates in stock market accounts. And, and that's a powerful tool that the Fed has. It can raise or lower the amount of margin that you can have for it. For example, today, if you're buying stocks, you can buy 50% of your stocks or 50% of the value of your stocks on margin. You can borrow half the money and put in half of your money. That's the current thing. But that percentage can go up or down based on what the Fed wants to do in terms of influencing the market. Very interesting. You see, there was a strong belief when this was done in 1934-5 that margin or borrowing money or leverage, whatever you want to call it, was a cause of that huge crash in 1929. And they wanted to put some brakes on it for the future. And it worked really great right up until the 21st century. And then stockbrokers started to look around and say, hey, I'd like to be able to get around this rule. And uh, yeah, well, you know, individuals with individual accounts have to follow the margin rules so they, they don't change. Hey, uh, stockbrokers or hedge funds or whatever you want to call it, or as big investors, we don't want to be held to these rules. We want to be able to really borrow up to the eyeballs. Why can't we buy at 100% margin? You know, so that's, they put in place a lot of rules that changed things. They created lots of derivatives. You know the derivatives, those dangerous derivatives? Well, those are new rules that came in, derivatives. And, um, and derivatives of derivatives and things like that. So there was lots of leverage. And so... That's uh, an interesting point that today we have a lot of leverage and that the old rule that the Fed had for establishing margin and controlling the danger of a market crash has gone away because the rules have been allowed to change and become much, much, much more liberal than when this rule was put in place. So... Uh, it's, this is just an education segment for you, something for you to chew on and think about. That's it for the first segment. And on to segment two. This is the wrap of the markets. Where did the markets end this last week? Incidentally, this last week was the end of the first six months of the year. So the half halftime records are being set right now and, and where it is. So the Dow is ended at 34,786. That's up about almost 350 points for the week. Near a high. It didn't make a high. However, the S&P 500 did make a high during the week, a new high, putting it in record territory. Uh, I consider that the uh, stock market, though, is still going sideways. This is at the top of its range for going sideways, but going sideways. So I would expect it Next week to be sideways or down a little bit. If it goes up, it'll be setting records, and then it's, it's, it will have broken out and not be going sideways any longer. How about the 10-year Treasury? Ended at 1.43. That's 
down a tenth of a percent, a major move down in percentage, but still sideways. It has to go below 1.4 to be really down, down. So I think sideways in, for interest rates. The U.S. dollar is 118.74 for the euro, and 138, et cetera, et cetera. It was actually stronger for the dollar. It was. I mean, the yen came in at 111. I haven't seen an 111 in a long time. So the dollar is getting stronger again. Kind of interesting. Uh, but, oh well, that's, that's just interesting. I like it. Uh, oil, 75.19. It was 74 up a dollar that I considered oil in an uptrend and it continues going up this is an up uh, thing and it's highly inflationary it pushes everything uses oil or products of oil so oil going up is not good for anybody or any prices but it's a push on inflation when the next inflation report comes out you'll love it so new high uh, recent high for oil Gold, 1788, that's up six bucks, basically sideways. For the last three weeks, gold's kind of hung in there down low. It needs to break out above 1800 and start playing games in the 18 and work its way back to 19. So that is uh, gold. Again, I'll third time in a row, I'll say, looks like a good place to buy, in my opinion. That's it for this segment. And on to the third segment. Let's talk about the U.S. stock market. Everybody knows that uh, it's a complex stock market and has to be looked at as such. It's the purpose of this segment is to give you a little insight into that. Well, first of all, everybody's aware there's some the FANG stocks, right? Which is Google and Facebook and all the biggies, which have big multiples, are hugely uh, in a bubble in my opinion very highly priced a small number of stocks but play a big role and then there's everything else which are the ordinary companies which are shares of which we know and love so that's kind of the way the bifurcation that we have in the stock market today so how important are these high-tech stocks in the overall scheme of things well if you look at the money that they produce, only 1% of the S&P 500 comes from these high-tech stocks. 1%. Meaning 99% come from the ordinary guys. Okay, so that, it's a baseline. That gives you a kind of feel of where they are. However, they represent in value 12% of the index. Which kind of implies that they're 12 times overpriced or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a huge difference. You know, if, uh, but that's that's a fact. 12% of the value of the S&P is in the, those stocks. And since 2012, which is quite a long time, they have gained four times as much as the rest of the S&P 500. So they're gaining way up. I mean, they recently have come down. But over the long, recent long term, they're going up a lot faster than the S&P 500. So realize... That is, it's what's, and then when I say bifurcation, I see two different worlds of stocks out there. And, uh, and it's important for you as an investor to get your mind around that when you're investing. Understand that. And that's it for the third segment.
on to segment four. Let's have fun with this one. Modern monetary theory, MMT, is a problem, is the problem in the world today. It's not a solution yet. Many politicians want to call it a solution to all our problems. You just, what is MMT? You just print money because you can and you spend it and the economy grows and grows. Well, you can't print your way to economic success. You cannot do that. It's people that have tried many times in history and it's never worked. And it, for obviously logical reasons, it will never work in the future. See, capitalism requires you have winners and losers. You need some losers, right? But modern monetary theory, or printing money, which is what we're doing in the United States right now, actually, at world record low interest rates, I might add, allows companies that should be going bankrupt to stay alive. These are the living dead, if you want to look at it that way. And they should be allowed to go onto the ash heap of history they failed as a company, but they're staying alive because they can get cheap money and there's always a greater fool that's willing to buy their shares or buy their bonds. Or... But uh, that's happening today and it can happen for a long time in the future, I might add. So let's look at the OECD. Let's look at a global view of modern monetary theory, the OECD. There are the... Uh, creators of something called special drawing rights, SDRs. It's SDRs are just money. And, uh, and they have uh, recently tripled the amount of money that they have out there in SDRs. And uh, they go in and they save nations. I mean, it, the uh, OECD is a banker's banker. They, they lend money to countries, not to people, not to companies, but to countries. And they save countries, but when they put their money in the country, it does not become debt of that country. It becomes debt to the OECD, but not to the country. I mean, that, it's illogical, yes. What I'm saying is not logical, but it's true. So it's weird. I mean, it's really weird. But it's another way of printing money. It's another way of extending the new cash leap, new cash, new printed money into the future. And that's happening today. So be it. Let's change the subject a little bit. Let's go to something that hasn't been talked about in economics for a long time. Credit default swaps. Anybody here listening remember what a credit default swap is? It's, it's a derivatives. It's derivatives, which are highly... You know, when I say derivatives, you should start to shake in your boots because... Uh, that means highly uh, leveraged, highly volatile, highly high, high risk, high reward also, both ways. So credit default swaps allow the debt of some major thing, like a country, to be owned by several different banks. And that's where credit default swaps occur, is that within banks, Remember what happened back in 2008, or is that so long ago that we've forgotten? In 2008, credit default swaps almost brought down the banking system. Remember that? Oh yeah, Lehman Brothers had a lot of them. That's 
they were taken out because they owned too much and they were not saved by the Fed, purposely allowed to die. Isn't that nice? So, how many credit default swaps are there in the world? Well, there's 70 trillion, seven zero trillion dollars worth of credit default swaps in the world. In It's worse now than 2008. If there's a default in the future, these will play a major role so, in, in what follows. And I want everyone to be aware of that. We haven't talked about credit default swaps in so long that everybody's forgotten that they actually exist and they're a bigger threat than they were the last time that it brought down the banking system and need, which needed to be restructured. So have you heard that about the global corporate tax initiative? That's interesting. Well, President Biden uh, is proposing a universal corporate tax that all countries agree to, so there's less fighting uh, among nations for uh, low tax havens. And 130 nations are supporting him. That's not all nations, but it is impressive number of nations, that's for sure. And uh, But there, it's not so rosy that it's going to pass very quickly because, for example, in the EU, there are three countries that are against it, so the EU may not be able to pass it themselves. One of them is Ireland, which has the lowest taxes within Europe and uses it to draw corporations into Ireland. For example, Dublin is the world European capital for Google and for Facebook. All the IT companies are coming there. Many British banks are coming to Dublin also because they speak English and uh, they want to do business in the EU since Brexit took them out of the EU. So, you know, that I can see that uh, Ireland would not want it, but also Hungary doesn't want it. They have low taxes. And Estonia, of all places, doesn't want it. So there's, it's not uh, uh, an idea made in heaven, you might say. Also, from the U.S. point of view, um, this uh, new tax, this, this would be an attack of a world tax agreement, has to be approved by Congress and, uh, and the Senate in particular. And to do that, you need a two-thirds majority. So to get a two-thirds majority in the uh, divided Congress that we have in the United States um, could be very, very difficult, in fact, just because it's people want to make it political. So we'll see. The thing I want to leave you with on a corporate tax or any kind of a world corporate tax, a national corporate tax, any kind of corporate tax, is the companies yell and scream they don't want to pay taxes, for sure. Who does? But if they do pay taxes, they just raise the price of their products and you pay the extra money. It's not the corporations that pay it. I think too many people think that, oh, corporations are rich and they can pay. They don't. You do. They just pass the, that added cost right on to you. So with that, I will say that's it for the fourth segment. And uh, let's get on to the last segment. And on to the fifth segment, the six precursors to a market crash. I can give you the big time summary here. There aren't any. I mean, there's some dangerous things going on, but 
right now there are there is no sign of a crash so sleep easy those of you who are worried about a stock market crash uh, let's start with a 10-year treasury bond 1.437 the interest rate went down even down before it went down and down to down and down is, is safer as far as the market crash goes what we're looking for is a an increasing 10-year interest rate which forces the fed to raise their Fed funds rate, which causes a market crash. That's not happening. The second thing we look at is the a very good sign is this high yield bonds. And I look at the value of these. I'm looking for the value to go down. The value is uh, is 9.11 of the funds that I'm, I'm following here, which is the highest value I've ever seen, which means that as far as the high yield bond market goes, the stock market is as safe as you could be right now, right now. This can change next week, but right now it's extremely safe. It's a great place to be investing, and uh, many people are making money. Notice that the uh, along with this very strong high-yield bond market, the stock market is uh, like the S&P 500 hit an all-time high. Okay, the third one is the U.S. exchange rate with other currencies, and basically... Uh, the dollar strengthened, and so be it. Uh, it's interesting that it's stronger, and but that just means I'm looking for a weaker, much weaker dollar. It's, exchange rates are going sideways. They're going nowhere right now. And, uh, and the U.S. dollar couldn't push it down. The U.S. government couldn't push it down if it wanted to because other governments would fight them. So that's not happening. So there's that's not a sign of anything going sideways. How about the... Uh, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, that hasn't changed. The last one was May 5.0. This is a big red light flashing out there that interest rates are high. They may stay high. I can't wait to hear the June number when it comes out. Uh, it'll be coming out in a couple weeks, and that should be uh, eye-opening. Uh, certainly everyone is excited and always, always now talking about inflation, and that has a lot of ramifications. But uh, right now, nothing. Nothing is uh, changing. The uh, fifth precursor is a change in the Fed's uh, policies, the Federal Reserve's policies. And there is none from last week. Uh, they are, the, the Fed is talking about things. I mean, what's important is an action the Fed may take. And they're not only just talking about what actions they may take. They're talking about what they will be talking about, about what actions they will take. So that's what's happening with the Fed, which means nothing is happening there. No, no problem there. The sixth and last uh, event or uh, precursor is a bluebird, which is, means an event that happens somewhere on the globe that could cause stock markets to go down. And the world was a safe place. There are no more big wars going on, even though... Uh, Joe Biden went out and bombed part of Syria on the border with Iraq. Um, that's not a major event as far as uh, uh, hurting stock markets. If anything, it helped the stock market. So, so be it with that. Know that as of today, your stocks are safe. Tomorrow's another day. Be talking to you in a week. I hope you have a great 4th of July. Have a good time with your family and... 
celebrate the uh, wonderfulness of what 4th of July stands for. Bye now. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscription button. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor and not a financial advisor. Nothing should be construed as advice or solicitation to make a trade in any market. And I disclaim any responsibility for any negative effect of decisions made by the listeners.